are you? Good, good, good to hear that. That's great. We, uh, that is Doreen and I, uh, set out to do the insurmountable this week. You know, we like challenges. So we said, okay, we're going to do it. We are going to clean out the office closet. (laughs) I would call it the abyss. So we rolled up our sleeves and together we said, okay, we're going to dig into that abyss and we're going to make sense of it all. Deep into the abyss, behind all the things, (laughs) there was this two and a half by three and a half foot frame of 17 pictures. The little collage, right? Like four by six, four by six, four by six. You get the idea, one big one in the middle. And I hadn't seen that for a while. And I thought, wow, what memories are on in that picture frame, those, the collection of pictures. And I had forgotten that we even had it. I mean, it was a, a gift, a little semi-creative project that I did when we celebrated our 15th anniversary. You say 17, 15, I'll explain that some other time. But each picture represented a year. And just us in that picture, and it kind of went from 99 all the way to, I don't know, what was it, 2014. And again, that 15-year milestone uh, awakened memories for me. And you go, we did this together, we did that, remember this, and it led to stories. It was awesome, to be honest, to see that. I think that's what milestones do. Milestones in life can sometimes awaken memories. How did we get here? This is where we are. How did we get here? And uh, I believe you probably saw something on Facebook and heard Brandon share last week at our service that uh, two Fridays ago was the date of our 10-year birthday, our 10-year anniversary as a church. And in some ways, I think it's fair to call 10 years a milestone. You think about the percentage of churches that are planted that die in the first two years alone. The vulnerability that comes with church planting. And you see, you think about all the stories and the memories, you go, man, we have faced much and we continue to have our challenges and concerns and frustrations and opportunities. But if you want to summarize the last 10 years... You're just blown away by God's faithfulness and goodness toward us as a church. Amen? God's been good to this church. God's been gracious in and through the lives of the people here. We have indeed reached a milestone as Renovation Church. God deserves all the glory for that. But I'm hoping that it could be for us an opportune time to not just put out some cupcakes and celebrate, although that sounds pretty exciting as well. But to remember. Remember who we are. Some of you have been here for a couple weeks and I don't, I don't know this story. Okay, well, in some ways, some of the things we're going to talk about this morning will reinforce who we are 
as the universal church, who we are as a church, who we are as a local church, who we are as believers in Jesus who participate in the local and universal church. I want us to remember our identity. I want you to remember who you are. But not only that, I think it's an opportune time for us to remember our purpose. Our identity as a church and the purpose that we have. The God-given, ordained purpose for our existence as Renovation Church. Those things are fundamental. They're ultimate kinds of questions. Who are we? Why do we exist? And 10 years in, you could imagine that it could be easy for us as a church to drift away from that, get caught up in fun and fellowship and just activities and busyness and things on the calendar and even preferences and ideas. And I wish we could do this and I wish we could do that. Some of those things are really good. But I wonder, excuse me, if this isn't an opportune time for us entering into our 11th year, that we would come to grips again, or at least continue to be aware of our identity and our purpose as a church. Peter talks to his readers in 1 Peter. He tells them who they are, and he tells them their purpose, why they exist. I'm going to invite Tim Froberg. He's going to come read our scripture this morning. So uh, let's turn our attention to him as he comes to read. Our passage this morning comes from the New Testament book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this word, your provision for us this morning. May we feast upon it, be nourished by it. May we know who we are and why we exist. Apply these words to our heart, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. First question, who are we as a church? Who are we as a church? Peter wastes no time, does he? Look at the language he uses in chapter 2, verse 9. He tells his readers, but you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He goes on to say, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. He goes on to say, verse 11, 
Beloved, he goes on to say, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. In rapid fire and in condensed form, Peter is telling his readers, the Christians, saying, know who you are. I'm about to give you some instruction, but before I do that, you must know who you are. Identity is foundational to how we live. He says, you're a chosen race. It's not the first time that we've heard this in Scripture. Isaiah 43, 20 and 21. He says, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I have formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Peter is saying to the church in his time, the same thing that was said to the people of Israel in their time, the church of Jesus being the fulfillment of these things. He's saying, you are God's chosen people. That's who you are. He goes on to say, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Again, that's not the first time in the Bible that we've heard words like that. All the way back to Exodus chapter 19 at the base of Sinai. The people of Israel have come out of Egypt and they are in the wilderness journeying to the promised land. And what does Moses say? He says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy Nation. Same language fulfilled in the church. Peter says, Church of Jesus, you are chosen by God. You are sanctified and set apart by God to worship Him as priests, for service and worship as priests. You are God's treasured possession. Do you hear that language? That's what he says. Not only this, he says, beloved, I urge you, don't miss that word. He's calling the church of Jesus beloved. He's saying in that one word, you are dearly loved by God the Father. You are dearly loved. That's who you are. And he goes on to say, they are sojourners and exiles. What does that mean? He's simply saying this to the church. This is who you are. You are not defined by this temporal place, but rather your destiny is rooted in another place. You're passing through. You're sojourning. You're in exile, and you are awaiting an eternal home prepared for you in the heavenly kingdom. That's what he's saying. Peter, he wants the church to know who they are. Renovation Church, know who you are in Christ. Know who you are. Know who God says you are. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. God has claimed you as his very own. That's what Peter says. This is the identity of the universal church throughout the ages. God's covenant people throughout the ages. This is the identity of the universal church. And as a local church in this time and in this place, we also share in that identity. That's who you are, Renovation Church. And as those who know and trust in Jesus and who belong to his local church here, you have a share and claim and joy and delight in that identity. That's who you are. Christians, members of the body of Christ, that's who you are. That's your identity. Do you know that? Who tells you who you are? Is God telling you who you are? Or is culture, our confused world, who says, this is your identity. This is what defines you. You're ultimately defined by your gender. You're ultimately defined by your sexual preference. You're ultimately defined by your pain, your skin color, your accomplishments. That's ultimately what defines who you are. Or do you hear the voice of Satan, the liar and deceiver himself, who says you're defined by your weaknesses, you're defined by your inadequacies, you're defined by your sins and your failures. That's who you are. Or are you defined by that insecure inner voice? It says, I'm worthless. I'm unlovable. Here's what God says to all that hoo-ha. He says, this is who you are. This is who you are. You're mine. You belong to me. You're chosen by me. You've been sanctified and set apart by me to serve and worship me. You're loved by me. You're a citizen of my kingdom. That's who you are. Do you know that this morning? Maybe you've never heard anything like that before your whole life. That's what the Bible says about the identity of the church of Jesus Christ. And everyone who comes to know Christ and place their faith, hope, and trust in Christ, that's who you are. Maybe the time has come for you to stop listening to the lies and distortion and confusion in our world and start listening to what God says about who you are. Hear what God says about your identity. Hear it. Trust it. Believe it. But why? You think about who you are. You start to take inventory of all those things that we reference, and you think, but, but why would God do this? How could God do this? Well, Peter tells us. 
he roots it in basis. He says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There was a time when you were defined by your sins. There was a time that you were defined by the condemnation that came with it. There was a time where that was the case, but guess what? That is no longer the case. There was a time that you were not receiving mercy, but because of Christ Jesus, guess what? Now you have received mercy. What is the motive of God? Is it your merit? Is it your good works? Is it your performance? Is it your own sense of self-worth? Or is it Christ Jesus applied to you by faith? It's that. It's His mercy. God's made us who we are by His mercy. That's it. God's made us who we are by His mercy. According to His sovereign mercy, God takes the initiative. He sees who we are. He sees our condition. He knows what plagues us. And what does He do? He sends His Son into the world to live a perfect life, to die a gruesome, atoning, perfectly sufficient death in order to save us from that. And then He remakes us according to His mercy. He calls us out of darkness... And He calls us into His marvelous light. That's what God does. And He does so because He's merciful. He was under absolutely no obligation to do that. We did not deserve it. It was not on the basis of merit. It was not on the basis of anything in us that would deserve it. It's not that we've earned any kind of identity from him. Such an action was not uh, based on some obligation that he has toward us as if he were to pay us a wage for something that we did for him. No. His saving love, his affection, his making us who he says we are is solely on the basis of his grace and his mercy. He freely, sovereignly chose to give it as an extension of who he is. Isn't that the gospel, friends? Isn't that why we're here? Isn't that why we worship him? Isn't that why we sing? Because he is merciful. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His his mercy never comes to an end. Great is thy faithfulness. I don't know what picture of God you have, but that's the God of the Bible. He is merciful. That's the gospel. That's the good news that we declare. So hear it. Trust it, believe it, and receive it. That's the story of redemption. We have been saved. Not according to deeds done by us in righteousness, but according to His mercy. God's made us who we are by His mercy. Amen? I don't know what more you want, people. You want something better than that? God makes us who we are by mercy. So every one of you here, you're mercy made. You're not self-made. By the grace of God, Paul says, I am who I am. Grace made you who you are. Mercy made you who you are. That's the gospel. That's who we are. People made by mercy. The second question, 
Why? For what purpose do we exist? Our identity anchored mercy. But why do we exist as a church? Maybe you could ask, why did God grant us his mercy and make us his very own people? Why did God do that? What was the purpose that undergirds all that? Well, Peter wastes no time. He says, verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There is that, that's purpose, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. He goes on to say uh, later in verse 12, so that, don't miss that clause, that grammar, the truth is in the grammar, so that, this, this is what he did, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There's a purpose behind God's remaking of us and granting to us this new identity. And we see here that something we've taught time and time again, maybe not enough, is that we are instruments of God in the world. God wants to use us. He wants to use His church. That's how He's at work in the world, through the ministry of the church, through the through the mission of the members of that church. That's how God's at work. You could say it this way. Recipients of mercy become instruments of mercy. Just by nature, that's what happens. You receive it. The nature of receiving the mercy of God makes you into an instrument of that mercy. That is, he pours his mercy into us so much, so abundantly, that it overflows out of the cup into the lives of other people. That's what God's mercy does. Our identity is what shapes our instrumentality. God works in us in order that he may work through us. Don't miss that. God works in us that he may work through us. Right? Ed Stetzer says this, He has chosen the church as his instrument in this world. We, the body of Christ, are God's chosen method to deliver the message of transformation to our neighbors, both in the community and around the world. It is our mission. Why are we here? It's our mission. As his instruments. God wants to use us in the world. Dwight Smith often says it's the drum that he beats, the missiologist said, that is underneath and undergirds a lot of the, uh, the mission and vision of, of Missio Church, Renovation Church, Covenant Church, and so many other churches throughout the world. It's this, whatever God is going to do in the world, he is primarily going to do through all of Christ's people. People say, tell us what kind of programs you have at the church. Well, we do some small groups. But here's the answer. The people are our program. That's our program. How are you going to reach your community, Mike? Through our people. God's going to do it through our people. Our spirit-empowered, word-proclaiming people. Whatever God's going to do in the world, he's primarily going to do through all of Christ's people. So God remakes us, and now he wants to use us. Us. 
Yeah, of all people, God wants to use us. God wants to use every member in this body to be his missionary and representative to a world that so desperately needs God's mercy. God wants to use us. And I'm going to just say three things in as least amount of words as I possibly can. How does God use us? Three Ds. Three D. That worked, didn't it? Three D. Three D mission. Tagline that one. Three D mission. Okay, right? Three Ds. The first one God uses us in His mission as we declare, declare the message of the gospel. We have a message to declare. Why did He make us? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right? Some people look at that and they go, wait, that's worship. It is. Right? Isn't that what we're doing here today? We're made by mercy, and now we're here to declare his praise together. When we come together, we are saying, praise Jesus. Praise the most excellent one. We're declaring together his excellencies. That's what we do when we worship. But it's also witness. It's also witness. Because worship is wonderfully in this moment. But worship is all of life. We declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light wherever we go. In the nooks and crannies of our life. Work, family, neighborhood, acquaintances, coffee shops, whatever. We go with that message. It's worship and it's witness. One person said, there's little difference between saying to God, how great thou art, worship, and saying to the congregation, great is the Lord, mission, witness. We have a message, friends. The gospel. We've been saved through hearing it, and God wants to use us to speak it so that others hear it. So it's incumbent upon us to know all the more the message of the gospel, to study the gospel, to study the word, to dig in because we say often, I don't know what to say. We're called to say something, but we don't know what to say. Let's engage in study. Let's engage in reflection. Let's talk together about the gospel as we meet in, in church, in our small groups, in our relationships. Let's talk about it. Let's think through it. Let's, let's articulate it so that when we encounter people in the world, we will know what to say. And let's not forget that the Spirit of God always is there to empower us to, to know what to say when we don't know what to say. God uses us as we declare the message of the gospel. Number two, God uses us in his mission as our lives display the transforming power of the gospel. One would say, you talk the talk, but you have to walk the walk. Right? Isn't one of the most, uh, um, the biggest criticisms to, to people in the world who do not believe is that, yeah, they talk a lot of smack but their lives are out of whack, that work, right? There's inconsistency. I love rap, I'm sorry. Um, 
DC talk, of course. But, <laughs> but the inconsistency of a message and the life, it's unbelievable. See, we, God uses us in his mission as we display the transforming power of the gospel. Positively stated, Peter says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Changes our life, our conduct. But then he says it negatively. Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Wow, that is powerful language. Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Human nature... When somebody says no, basically, Peter is saying no. There are things and activities and actions in your life where the Lord and his word says, no, don't do it. Abstain from it. The answer is no. Red light. And we start going, oh, that's legalism. Man, we love our freedoms. And we love to live into our freedoms as far to the line as possible to get as close as we can without sinning. And the Bible's saying, flee, run for your lives from sin. Don't do it. And the specific sin he's saying here is abstain, he's saying, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Most likely, he's being very specific about. Uh, sexual passions, sinful sexual expression. Abstain from those things. Don't do it. They wage war against your soul. That is powerful language. Saying every one of those sinful passions in your flesh, they're all soldiers in an army that are trying to destroy your soul. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? Our sinful passions. We understand we continue to wrestle with sin and the presence of sin. Not the the power and dominion of sin over us. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen? But the presence of sin in our life is still a real thing. And we're at battle for purity and holiness. Remember, you're a holy nation. Saying abstain from those. And the more you don't, the more you give yourself over to them, the more you are surrendering to your enemy who wants to destroy you in spirit. We're called to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Sinful sexual passions. Abstain. No. Lusts. No. Need for social affirmations and likes on Facebook. Instead of, like, I need that. I just got to have that. The constant drive in suburban America and this economy. More, more, more. Never satisfied. I got to have more. Passions of the flesh. Greed. The reason we should abstain from those things is because they're waging war against us. Say it differently. It could kill you. 
weaken you, deteriorate your spiritual strength as you give yourself over to those things. But also, a sinful, self-indulgent lifestyle is simply inconsistent with our new identity. As I've battled over the years with some of these things, I have had to tell myself, that is not who you are. That is not who God has made you to be. Do you wage war that way? you got to go back to identity. Because identity leads to conduct. Having a sense of identity. You realize, I don't have the strength. I'm filled with the spirit. I'm waging war against the flesh. I'm a spirit-empowered believer in Jesus. It's not who you are. But in terms of the mission, it's a visible display of the distinct nature of our God. Our conduct, our behavior, the way we live, it's instrumental to the mission. People are hearing our words, but they're seeing our lives. And I wonder if for some of us, we've minimized this. We've distorted grace. Grace means I can do whatever I want to do, and God still loves me. No, that is true. Amen. But to truly understand grace and the love of God is to be motivated to live a life of repentance and obedience and submission. And we also understand that the world is watching and listening, and it's instrumental to the mission. So this is a call on every one of us to not just talk to talk, but to walk to walk, to be holy, to repent, to be committed to obedience, because it's instrumental to the mission. And the last thing is, I want to say is God uses us in his, in his mission as we develop relationships with people in this world. Declare the gospel, display the transforming power of the gospel, and develop relationships with people in the world. I couldn't help but miss the phrase, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. There's so much temptation as we, in our fight for purity and our longing to be obedient is to separate ourselves out from the world, to live in the Christian bubble, in our holy huddle, to spend every day and night together with our Christian buddies without reference to the people in our lives that are so far from God, who do not know the gospel, that we retreat from the world. But you remember what Jesus prayed for, for his disciples, to the Father. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And then he says this, they are not of the world as I am not of the world. We as believers have been placed by God in the world. God wants to use us in the world. He does not want us to separate ourselves out relationally from the world. We're on a mission in it, but we are not substantively of the world. That's the distinction. So again, our message and our conduct, it's in the context of the world and developing relationships with people in our world. Don't miss that. That's been fundamental to our vision. Relationships. We've asked the question time and time again, how are we going to reach people in the suburbs? Through our people. Be more specific. In a relational strategy. Relationships. It's relationships. 
God has strategically, sovereignly placed you in certain relationships, in your neighborhood, in your, in your family, in your workplace, and in and wherever you kind of live and do life, the coffee shops and restaurants you, you frequent. He did all that so that you would be in the world. Not of the world, so that you would be in the world. That you would live your life among the Gentiles and that you would be heard and seen and that people would come to know the, the message of hope and the good news of Jesus Christ through your life. Adam Ramsey says mission in the secular West is a long-term relational work. I think that's dead money. Heard that quote from Chris Davidson. Mission in the secular West is long-term relational work. That's what we are, are looking at, friends, at this church. How are we going to reach every man, woman, and child? Through our people. Our word-proclaiming, spirit-empowered people. And it's primarily going to be through relationships. We've got to double down as a church in our 11th year, as a church that is relational in its culture, relational in its evangelism, relational in its mission. Deprogram the church, right? Let's not schedule something every single night of the week, Saturday mornings, this, that, and the other thing, and pull our people out of the relationships that they have in the world. Let's be relational. Let's declare the gospel. Let's display it, but then let's develop relationships where we bring this gospel to bear on the lives of people who are far from God. You may not even know the kind of missional potential you have. You might assume, oh, evangelism and mission is for really gifted people. People like Billy Graham, people like Jim Murphy, who we all know, who's developed a whole relational evangelism curriculum called My Circle Training that we've talked about. You may think that's for pastors and leaders, but the scriptures tell us that anyone who has that identity, anyone who is a follower of Jesus by faith, they are missionaries. They are instruments of God's mercy. And so I want to encourage you, take inventory of your life. Who in my life doesn't know Jesus? God has distinctly and strategically placed you in their life so that you could declare and display the gospel. Take inventory. Pray for them. Develop relationships. And as the Lord gives you opportunity, share the gospel of Jesus. Share that life-transforming truth that radically reshaped your identity. And who knows? Maybe God will work powerfully in their heart. Faith comes by hearing what? And hearing by the word of Christ. God works in us. God works through us. We are the recipients of his mercy, but we are also his instruments in the world. God has made us who we are by his mercy and for his mission. That's what I want you to hear this morning. He's made us who you are by his mercy and for his mission. We are 10 years in. 
let's not forget who we are. Let's not forget why we're here. And let's not forget where we're headed. The day of visitation. This is a mission that we are committed to and called to until Jesus returns. Has Jesus returned yet, friends? Is the work done? Is the mission complete? No. The work isn't done. Amen? This is who we are. This is why we exist. And we'll continue to do that as we anticipate the blessed hope of when our Jesus comes back and we see him face to face. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen? God has made us who we are by his mercy for his mission. Let's pray together. Lord, we give you all the praise. We declare together the excellencies of you. You have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. I pray that the Spirit of God would encourage and comfort and reassure all those here who are seeking to have a clear, comforting sense of identity in Christ Jesus. Remind them who they are. There's someone here today that's been living according to culture's own sense of identity or, or even believing the lies of Satan or that inner voice. I pray that you would encourage them and draw them to faith and trust Give them joy and a new identity in you. I pray for this congregation as we head into our 11th year that you would continue to give us a sense of purpose. You desire to use us in this time, in this place, for your glory until Christ returns. Lord, thank you. This is all your work, and it's all for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.